welcome to Side Alpha Leadership, a podcast where leaders can share their experiences and discuss what leadership means to them. I'm your host, David Polikoff. Hello and welcome to this month's edition of Side Alpha Leadership Podcast. I'm your host, David Polikoff. And no stranger to the show, I've got my good friend and uh, colleague on here with me, uh, Sam Villani. Sam, welcome back to uh, Side Alpha Leadership. And uh, I know a few things have happened since uh, we last talked. So go ahead and uh, fill us in with some of the good news before we move into our topic. Yeah, man. Thanks. Thanks for having me on again. I, you know, it's, uh, I can't wait for this uh, pandemic stuff to be over so we can actually do this in person like we used to. Um, which was a blast and uh, I enjoy this, but it's nice, nice to see, you know, hang out too. So I'm sure we'll get there here this summer maybe, but um, yeah. So uh, since I guess the last time I've been on, I've, I've been promoted to battalion chief. I finally got a permanent position and um, have, I have a shift and I'm just now getting to settle in because uh, I got promoted. And then two weeks later, uh, our uh, second child, came uh four weeks early so absolutely and congratulations on that i know uh you've got your you're in a house full of women now so uh (laughs) you're gonna have to go grab some golf clubs and a couple beers when the weather breaks and go out and smack some balls around the golf course (laughs) maybe smoke some cigars while we're out there (laughs) but uh but yeah so like the last time we talked you were a, a bump up battalion chief and uh you were uh you were still a captain, but you were operating in that battalion chief role, and then uh, you got promoted in December. Uh, I didn't even have to make a personal visit to the headquarters or anything like that, telling them what a mistake uh, they were going to make if they didn't promote you. I, I know that I knew you were going. I knew it was going to happen, and I'm very happy <laughs> that it did. Um, so you got promoted. You got your assignment. Uh, you know, you're in a, a uh, an urban uh, battalion that actually goes anywhere between downtown high rise urban to no hydrants farm area. So you've got a pretty vast area. Not include not not also uh, uh, can't fail to mention that you've got uh, CSX, which is railroad, metro, uh, above ground and underground, as well as the river. Uh, that runs through the southern end of the battalion. So, and also, um, hazmat is in your first you as well. So, the hazmat unit. So, you're surrounded by special ops, and you're no stranger to the special ops arena. Being a radio guru guy, um, for those who have taken the our command class, Sam is my radio guy. Also, the guy I bounce stuff off of. So, um, all in all, congratulations on getting promoted. Uh, proud to watch, uh, you know, you come through the fire service as, you know, as a firefighter and as a lieutenant, captain, and now a battalion chief. And, and second kid is uh, in the books and uh, surrounded <laughs> surrounded by, by ladies in the house. Uh, it is what it is. And uh, now we got RJ. We just got to get RJ promoted. He's on the lieutenant's list and uh, get him promoted in his jurisdiction. So if his fire chief is listening to me, which I know he's listening. He's been on the show before. Uh, promote <laughs> RJ, and then that way we have the Capital Fire Training. Will have uh, its cadre of not only uh, of excellent instructors, but also um, uh, excellent uh, line, uh, line officers and and command officers. And one of our other colleagues, Kevin Larkins, he's uh, studying for his lieutenant's test now in his jurisdiction. So um, I have no. No uh, doubts that Kevin will uh, do well and uh, be promoted, and it'll be nothing but officers uh, teaching for Capital Fire. So bonus. So um, yeah, that'll be awesome. Yeah, man. So with all that being said, today I wanted to kind of dig into like the communication aspect of leadership, and I know that uh, it's a it's a very vast uh, topic. Um, and I know that you've got your heels rooted in communication. We talk about radio work and things like that. And, and, uh, but, but drilling down into it, I want to talk not about radio communications or communicating, uh, on the fire ground, but more of, we'll talk a little bit about that, but more of communicating to the people that work with you, uh, your captains, your lieutenants and your firefighters, as well as communicating to our upper management, whether it be, you know, our, our, um, duty chief our duty operations chiefs or or our um our uh division chiefs or or the fire chiefs that are out there so uh we want to talk about uh, how we communicate with them now it sounds like you're using a blender in your kitchen or something man are you making Sorry. drinks i was so i'm making tea so i've i've, I've uh 
you know, I've reached critical weight and I, I joked that I got, I got the COVID 20 and, and not the COVID 19. So, um, <laughs> no drinking and I'm actually, I just brewed an iced tea. So that was the ice going in. <laughs> there you go. So. I was wondering if you could hear that or not. I guess these, these mics are pretty sensitive. So. <laughs> not only can I hear it, but the, the hundreds of thousands of people that listen to this podcast could hear that you're drinking tea. So make sure you got your pinky out when you're drinking that tea. But, um, no, seriously, um, I want to talk about the communications, you know, talking to how we would talk to our bosses to make sure that they're informed. That's very important. But also, how do we talk to our uh, people that work with us and that we work for, I should say, as a battalion chief, I always say I work for my people. Um, I'm their advocate. And, you know, how do we talk to lieutenants and captains? How do we get our message across? How do the firefighters, how can they get their message to their first line supervisors or lieutenants and captains in order to have this um, two-way street of communication. And I'm a firm believer that when you have a, a solid two-way street of understandable communications, your fire service or the, uh, your business, you, you know, whether you're, you know, you've got this multi-million dollar business or you're just a, 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 a local mom and pop shop. But when you have those lines of communication that's open, I think that the, the, the fire service itself can grow as well as the, uh, the, you know, your business, you know, if, if you are a civilian and you have your own business, it can grow because you know what's on your people's mind. And, and I've said it a thousand times, there are so many smart people that work for the fire service that, uh, you know, it's not like it used to be back in the 60s and 70s where it was this militant, uh, quasi-military strict thing. And it, it, it still is a quasi-military thing, but as we evolve, we recognize that everybody has a voice and everybody has something to bring to the table. It's the fact that we have to be, be able to put our ego in check and be able to listen to the person that has one year on the job because maybe they see things in a different perspective and they can maybe bring things up that we haven't thought about or we've been thinking about it, but they're looking at it as a di in a different angle and uh, could easily solve some, a problem that we may, may have been stewing over for months, if not years. So let's dive into that, Sam. Let's start talking about, you know, when we were firefighters, how did we or how did you... Uh, get your point across to your officer, you know, whether you were a volunteer or career person, how did you, you know, convey those, that information to be heard, but not to be overbearing or a know-it-all? What, what, what were some of the things that you do and what do you uh, get want from your people as you stand now as a chief? Yeah. So, you know, as a firefighter, I just tried to be uh, open, you know, um, open and honest about uh, anything that I, I either didn't understand or, or wasn't comfortable with, and, or if there was an issue, um, I try to make sure they knew as much as I knew about it, uh, so, so that we could get ahead of it. Because, you know, the whole the big the big I think it's not not unlike society. Uh, we do have folks that are passive aggressive, and um, you know, passive aggressiveness just it does not work well in the fire service. It uh, I think it, it breeds a lot of problems. You gotta, you gotta have the intestinal fortitude to uh, come forward with your concerns and um, get it out there. And you just have to know if, if you if you grew up in a passive aggressive household and that's how you operate, you gotta tuck that away while you're at work and realize that um, getting ahead of it and getting it out there, it's not gonna hurt you. Um, folks are gonna respect you for it, and it's it's gonna it's going to address the issue uh, head on instead of uh, you tiptoeing around being uncomfortable. And I think we've all seen it where you get somebody on a shift or uh, at a volunteer fire company and um, you know, they're uncomfortable with something or something's not working out for them or there's a, a personality issue and they'll tiptoe around it. You know, their buddy buddies, the person's face and then behind their back they are bashing them. And that creates such, that's such a toxic, uh, cocktail uh for, for culture in, in the fire service so it's 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 hard for some people i realize you know people that you know we grew up where our our parents uh children but uh the fire service i think has a lot of great examples of people who are willing to put their foot forward and, uh, address an issue and uh sometimes it's tough it's a tough step for folks to make but you just got to keep it in the back of your head that uh taking that step gets gets uh, to the issue headlong. It's going to make you feel better at work. It's going to make everybody feel better and everybody be better. So you got to just suck it up and do it. 
Yeah, I, I think that, you know, from a management standpoint, if you, if one of your firefighters brings something to the lieutenant or the captain, that, that captain or lieutenant has an obligation to, to hear him out. Um, if you were to just throw your hand up and, and dismiss them right away, you're, you're creating an environment where there's you're never going to have this uh, culture of to be able to change or this culture to move forward if if you have that whole I'm the boss, it's my way or the highway type of attitude. And and, and I know we, we have broken through a lot of that. I see a lot of it uh, in the battalion that I work in, you know, just going around and, and people are comfortable talking to to their bosses. And when I'm in the firehouse, uh, when I'm doing my rounds, a hundred percent, I have no problem with a firefighter coming to me and wanting to talk to me directly. They don't have to go through their chain of command. I mean, unless they're trying to get something formally done, like something put on the schedule or something like that. But if they just have a question there, there, sh- there should be no reason why a firefighter can't go to his battalion chief. If they're standing in the station, say, can I ask you a question? Um, you know, I would hope that my ego's in check enough that I can hear that person out. And, uh, it, it may be something that I didn't even know was going on. You, you kind of, when you have these kitchen table talks, which I like to call them, you start finding out what there are issues that are brewing and then you can kind of head them off or, um, you get this misinformation and like my wife is the first to tell you, we're nothing but like a bunch of little schoolgirls in a little sewing circle for gossip. Um, we always get these, uh, these stories and we just start talking about, uh, you know, we start spinning these stories up and, and majority of it, I say about 80% of it is based in, in not in reality. And as a manager, as a chief officer, it's my responsibility to make sure that I provide the facts. So back in the day, it would be like, you're a firefighter, know your place. You know, you, you need to, your ears need to be open more than you're talking. And that is still true. But we need to understand as bosses that uh, we need to be able to hear what other people have to say. So that way we can start pinpointing, do we have issues in the fire service and, or do we have ideas like, hey, we are doing something. Why are we doing it this way? Why can't we do it this way? And there's a lot of that that's happening now. Um, so as, you know, let's move forward to, you know, when you were a captain, I know when you were a lieutenant, you were on a really good shift. Um, as a lieutenant, you were in a dual service house and I know you had a voice. You got to talk, uh, and, and, and create a lot of things. Well, let's move forward to, you know, as a captain, when you were down at your station, um, you, did you open, did you breed an environment to where, you know, firefighters can come and knock on your door and talk to you? Or did you make the, have to have everything funneled through the master firefighter or the technician, which is like our first line of supervision? Yeah, I, um, you know, and, and definitely, I think it's a new, uh, uh, nouveau officer approach. Um, but it's how I am. I'm, I'm, you know, the big, the, the beauty of that being a, a, a part of a shift, whether you're the, the junior firefighter or the, or the boss is that it's, it's such a social thing. You know, it, it really is your second family. And I can certainly say since I've been promoted, I've missed my shift at uh, downtown Silver Spring. I've missed them terribly. And thankfully they've uh, kept up with me. And, uh, but I'm not a part of that shift anymore. They're, they're still my friends, but it's that bond, you know, you come in every third day, taking the same beat and they're taking. Um, but <clears throat> instead of sitting in the office, I, I, I very rarely was in my office. I would go in my office at night when things calm down and get the paperwork done. Or first thing in the morning, I'd get in at like 5am. If I had something to knock out, I'd knock it out between five and six, but I wanted to be, um, open and available to everybody on the shift and be with them. You know, it's a, we're a very busy firehouse. Um, so if I didn't take advantage of the time we had together in the kitchen or in the day room to talk, um, or even if we're, you know, try to put drills together, planning a, a, a family event or something like that, you know, um, we didn't have like, we couldn't sit around all day. We were too busy for that. So I maximized my time with my folks. I was, I was, I, you know, I'm, I'm in the kitchen with them. Um, I'm in the day room with them. And at night, uh, you know, in between runs, usually after the, the second or third run after midnight, we just stay up a bunch of us and, uh, sit around, grab coffee. And, uh, I really miss that. I, I miss it terribly. And I, I, my, but I think what it did was it fostered a, a, a completely open line of communication between, uh, them and I. So, I was certainly the captain, um, you know, and, and I didn't have to 
I didn't have to ask for their respect. Um, they gave it to me, but they gave it to me because over time I demonstrated that uh, I wanted to be their leader and I wanted to advocate for them and also, um, you know, value them tremendously. And I think they all knew that. So um, I definitely took kind of a newer approach. You know, the old school officer stays in, uh, lets the uh, hijinks ensue, that kind of stuff. Well, I'll be honest with you. I was a part of a lot of the hijinks <laughs> and it was just it was a blast. I mean, it kept it, you know, it's so busy down there in that pocket that uh, you had to have fun. Um, and you had to, sometimes you had to make some spontaneous fun to kind of keep you, your mind off of the, the fact that you're getting your teeth kicked in every shift. And that's, you know, I, I want to talk about that a little bit, but, you know, I want the people that maybe aren't in the fire service to understand, you know, when we talk about hijinks, we talk about having a good time and practical jokes and things like that. Obviously nothing that's going to cross the line of, uh, you know, racial barriers or a Ill, anything that's illegal, but the, the good natured ribbing and fun, uh, people need to understand that, you know, in the fire service, it's important that we have that sense of humor and albeit it's going to be a dark sense of humor based, you know, on what we see day to day and what's asked of us every day. I think that's how we survive, and that's how in the fire service we it comes to be our second family. I remember you talked about the TV, and you talked about you know running calls. I remember you know when I got hired, and, and I was uh, my I was hired in the same station. Well, actually, the station's across the street from from where your station is, the old one engine. Uh, that's where I was hired, and. Um, we the 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 jokes and the hijinks and stuff that we would not do now you know would not fly made it that second home for us and it was funny because we would run four or five calls after midnight and uh you know the tv was always on so we'd come back from a call the tv was on we'd sit down we'd watch tv um next thing you know it's three four five o'clock in the morning next shift is funneling in you know and then we go home but that whole camaraderie of the of the the, the quote unquote hijinks or the practical jokes, you know, all in good fun, good natured, um, is what I think brings a shift together when we're all on the same page. And and you have to do that because it keeps you from going insane, uh, especially with the stuff that that we see. Um, you know, not trying to sound cliche or so overly dramatic, but the fact of the matter is, is that we're only one working fire away from not going home. You know, we can't control everything that happens on the fire ground. So, you know, it's like the soldier. They know that when they are, you know, standing their post or they are going out on, on, on patrol that they could be engaging the enemy and they might not come back. But it's a job that we um, embrace and hold dear to our hearts and will do our job until our last breath. Um you know, not again, not trying to sound dramatic, but that's the fact of the matter. So one of the things that, that I wanted to touch on, and, and this took me a long time as an officer to relinquish, was I felt that everything had to funnel through me as the captain. And slowly, you know, having senior master firefighters on my shift, um, allowing me to release a lot of the stuff and let them handle some of the day-to-day things, the things that happened on the floor, uh, little spats that happened here, little complaints or whatever. I found that the masters were starting to be my buffer where they were kind of handling that stuff. They already had the answer. It didn't have to go through me because they knew what the answer was. And then later come to me and say, hey, this happened and this happened and this is how I dealt with it. And uh, it really opened my eyes that, hey, I've got some really good people that are underneath of me that are capable of handling some of this stuff. I don't have to be the end-all, be-all to make decisions. And as I'm slowly moving forward now, um, you know, towards the end of my career, I'm looking at it as I want my guys and gals to make decisions. I want them to take matters into their own hands when something happens right away and to be able to make a decision without having to pick up the phone right away and make a phone call and say, how do I do this? When they already have the answer. Um, obviously, there are some things that have to be run by me, but what I what I like more than anything is when I get a phone call from a captain saying, these are the following things that happened. This is what I did. I just want you to know. And if I need to tweak it, I tweak it. But I'd say 99% of the time, I'm like, good deal. Move on. You know, I'm, I'm good with that. So, 
using the lieutenants and using those master firefighters or your technicians or whatever to handle those um, lower level issues on the floor, it strengthens them to be able to make decisions as they move forward in a career. It also shows that you trust them and you respect them and their decision-making process to handle things. What do you think about that? No, exactly. Um, it's all about um, you, you kind of foster a, um, an environment of openness where they, they, they're not going to be afraid to, to call you. They know that they want, A, they know you want to hear from them good, bad, or indifferent, and B, you're putting yourself out there. So, like, for example, yesterday I went out and did rounds, and I had zero to convey it. I didn't have to sign any paperwork, didn't have to talk about an issue. Um, we just had co- regular conversation. You know, sometimes I'll come in with a, with a topic I want to talk about, you know, something about tactics or, you know, I, I usually put that in my morning lineup. And then if I go out for the rounds, I'll talk, you know, we'll talk about it. But yesterday was just one of those days. It was like, I just want to go out, say hi to folks, see how they're doing, talk about things and um, not anything specific. And I think that that kind of helps to foster that thing that, hey, uh, you know, when, when uh, Battalion Chief Flani comes around, he's not coming around to uh, <laughs> issue paperwork or address an issue. He's, he's coming around regardless of whether there's an issue or whether he has to handle something um, to, to be open. Because, you know, sometimes there's things that if you're, if you're not showing up, you know, if you're not putting yourself out there for them, they're not going to let you know about it. Maybe it's an issue that, that you can nip in the bud early or it's a, you know, a conflict, a personality conflict, that kind of stuff that you can help, you know, help um, diffuse before it gets bad. So just being, you know, every day you go out, you don't have to, you don't have to have an agenda. Uh, you just have to, you just have to go out and, and uh, my shift chief actually does that. He'll come out just to say hi, like uh, doesn't have, you know, he'll answer questions, that kind of stuff. And he doesn't announce it. Like, I don't know, you know, he doesn't say, hey, Sam, I'm going to be in your battalion. He'll just, um, he kind of has a regular schedule. He pops in, says hi, talk, answers questions. And uh, I think that's pretty cool that he does that. Um, and it's certainly, um, you know, the whole mentoring process of mentoring me along as a new battalion chief. I see him doing that. I wanted to do that already uh, or anyway, but it kind of reinforces that behavior that, hey, man, I need to get out here for these folks. Um, I don't need to be stuck in the office. If I have paperwork to do, not unlike when I was a captain, I can get it done early in the morning and late at night but during the day. The day's for, uh, for the folks that I take care of. You know, I want to make sure I'm there for them. Yeah, I think that uh, it's, a, it's a, a decent point that you brought up. I remember when I was a master firefighter, and the uh, battalion chief or the uh, the, the um, duty chief would show up at the station. Usually, it was the duty chief, and uh, you know everybody. As soon as he'd walk in, you know the first thing the captain or the lieutenant would say, "Like, oh, what's going on now?" And eventually, they the chief would say something along the nature of, "Like, oh, how come every time you think I come in here, it's always bad news?" And the typical answer always was, "That's the only time you show up." is when it's bad news. We, we never show up just to show up. And I've heard that so many times throughout my career. And you would think that eventually this stuff would start to sink in, especially when it was the master firefighters and the lieutenants that were saying that. And now those guys are upper management that, that they would just say, oh yeah, I remember I used to say that all the time. And then close the door to their office and then you never see them. So... It's one of those, you can't just show up as the boss only when it's bad news. It's nice just to show up and say, what's up, guys? And uh, what's going on? Or, hey, I heard that fire you had the other day. It sounded like you guys were doing it. What was going on? You know, and you really engage them in a conversation. Um, that's what I do. You know, when I go out on my rounds, I look forward to going out to see the guys. And, and, and my guys know that, you know, if you, if you don't want me to stay for a long time, don't start talking fires and tactics and stuff like that because I'll stay. Um, but if, you know, I like popping in, just, Hey, what's going on? What's coming down the pike? Anything new, anything I need to be aware of, how your guys doing, um, what you guys got planned, stuff like that. You know, it's usually 15, 20 minutes, just BSing with the captain, talk to the guys real quick. And then I move out to my next station. Obviously, if there's something that's brewing, then I'd be more than welcome to, you know, happy to sit down and, and discuss whatever's going on, especially when they have questions. And, uh, and I get that, um, you know, with some of my, my lieutenants, they'll say, hey, what do you think about this? Or what do you think about that? Or, hey, what's your reaction to this? And, and um, you know, 
it's nice to be able to, they know that eventually I'm going to be coming by their firehouse during that day and they don't have to call me on the phone. They know they're going to see me. Um, which brings me to my next thing. You had talked about, you know, as the captain, you did, you didn't hide in the office, you know, you were out with your guys and then when the day started to wind down, you went back into your office and did, uh, your paperwork. And that's one of the things, if, if anything, with this conversation that we're having now, and if there's any bosses that are out there that are listening to this, my, my biggest pet peeve is for you guys that work in, in, um, upper management where you're doing admin stuff, you have to get out of your office. You have to get away from your desk. You have to go to where the rubber meets the road and find out how these guys are doing. Obviously, if you work in New York City, you know, the fire chief or the chief of the department can't go and hit every single station, you know, because there's, you know, you got thousands and thousands of employees. But for most jurisdictions, you know, where you're talking of anywhere from 1,500 or less employees, it's feasible to get out there to talk to the people to see what's going on. I, I like to call it taking a pulse. You know, you want to find out what's going on. You'd be surprised. Um, these people really want to meet the bosses. They want to see the bosses. They want to talk to the boss. It's nice to have that FaceTime. Um, me personally, I don't care if I see the, the bosses or not. I mean, I can talk to them on the phone. But the lieutenants and the captains and the firefighters that are in these stations, you know, they got lots of questions and, you know, for them to call me and I'm like, you know, it's a good question. I don't know Then I got to make a phone call. And then maybe that person has to make a phone call. It's just so much easier to be able to get away from the desk, get in your car and drive to a station and just say, Hey, you know what? These, these four or five stations meet me at station so-and-so and we're going to BS for, for an hour or so. I've got some time today. Um, so as upper management, I'm telling you guys, you got to get away from your desk. You got to get out and hear what the people have to say and talk to them and maybe throw some hints out there of what's coming down the road and then ask them questions, engage them. Hey, what do you think about this? What do you think about that? The biggest thing that firefighters or the, the number one thing that firefighters are known for is giving their opinion. They will tell you exactly what they think with respect of something that they like or dislike. And, and uh, that's the only way you're going to get a true uh, answer to what's going on in there. What's your feelings on that, Sam? Yeah, no, exactly. And, and um, you know, if, I was kind of thinking about it and chuckling. Like, if anything, come out for sanity's sake because, um, you know, I, I can imagine uh, having to act on stuff all day from the desk. You know, after a while, you're just – you're beating your head into the ground um wanting to get out and uh you know it's just kind of sometimes i know it's probably you know you have meetings all day that kind of stuff but you gotta you gotta schedule time even for your sanity to get back because you know they came up through the ranks like they um you know they were once firefighters they went through recruit school all that stuff and they you know they loved it obviously because they've, they're, they've stuck around and that now they're chiefs and uh if anything for their for their um, just to get to get back and realize, um, hey, you know, I'm here for here for these folks, and and um, you know, they do want to hear from me, and they do care, and uh, that's I think it's huge, you know, especially, you know, our, our fire chief, you know, he'll show up randomly, and and uh, folks are you know surprised, oh wow, these guys are really busy coming out, you know, to say hi and. And a lot of times it's it's just answering questions, you know, especially with now, you know, with COVID, there's a lot of unanswered questions. People are, there's a lot of unsurety about what's, uh, what, what our future is going to look like. And, you know, and there's a lot of work being done, uh, you know, by our, by folks in our, in our department to kind of make it the best it can be for everybody. So I think it's, you know, it's, it's definitely important and, and it's, it's, I, I would imagine it's, it's very easy to lose sight when you get to a, poor, a part of your day where you're, everybody wants a piece of you. But, you know, you, you got to get out there and say hi. I think, you know, there are folks in our, our department that do that. And, I, I'm, you know, I'm always, I'm ever the grateful for it when I see them. And I know the folks are too, you know, it's just, it's nice to be able to see that person. And I know there are organizations, we have friends that work for different departments and you hear them talk about, it. I've never seen my fire chief. I'm like, you know, it just blows my mind. I'm like, <laughs> like my my fire chief texted me as like a as a, as a lieutenant, <laughs> you know. I mean, I knew, I've known those folks, and ha and I, you know, they've dealt. I, I don't think we've had a fire chief that hasn't been like completely open, had like that open door thing where you could talk to them, and they and they would give you some honest uh, appraisal, you know. Right, and you know, it's funny, you know, I had 
um, triggered a couple of thoughts here. I had I had a boss um, not too long ago who I sat down and we talked, you know, one day on duty, and he confided in me that he was a true introvert, and uh, which is a rarity for firefighters because most firefighters are, you know, type A personality extroverts. Um, you know, live flying by the seat of your pants type thing. This guy was a true introvert. And we talked about, you know, going out and visiting stations, talking to people. And he told me, he, he said, Dave, I got to be honest with you. He said, I am uncomfortable walking into a firehouse and, you know, seeing, you know, all the firefighters there and everything, knowing that, you know, I'm their boss or their boss's boss. He said, the moment I walk into the firehouse, I'm looking for an exit. And, and, you know, I, I kind of sympathized with him a little bit and, 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 and I felt bad for him, but I, I was like, you know, you have to find a way to overcome that because you are the boss and you are, you know, you're my boss and believe it or not, these people, they do want to see you and hear what you have to say and hear it from a perspective of coming from above me of what's going on in the county. And, I told him, you know, I said, you know, I'll tell you what I'll do. I said, you and I can go meet at a station maybe once a week and we'll just in my battalion and we'll just go talk to people. You sit down and I'll initiate the conversation and you can sit next to me. And eventually these questions are going to get thrown out that I'm going to turn to you and, and let you answer these questions. And you'll find that these people aren't going to bite your head off. You know, they're going to hear what you have to say and they're going to have questions and the, the one thing that I back it up with and I'm going to tell everybody this right now it is okay not to know something it's perfectly fine because the moment you try to fake it they're going to recognize it right away and any credibility that you have built and any trust that you have built with your people will be gone in that instant and it's going to be very difficult to build it back so if you don't know something say great question I honestly don't know, but this is what I'm going to do. I know who I can call who will know, and I'll have an answer back to either you or to the battalion chief by the end of business day, if not by next shift at the latest, uh, with an answer for you. So I apologize for not knowing, but I will find out. And it's okay not to know. You know, as battalion chiefs, and I'm sure you're seeing this now, Sam, we get inundated with so much stuff that we have to remember and phone calls that we have to make and certain people that we have to notify when certain things happen, things slip through the crack. And I tell you what, in my contacts list on my phone, if I dial this number, underneath that number is a note saying that when you talk to this person, you also have to talk to this person, this person, and this person. Because if I don't, I'm going to forget <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's okay not to know. Now, as a boss, you need to understand that it's okay if your people underneath, if you don't know something, then you got to give them that information. Um, I've found, you know, I've asked a captain or a lieutenant a question and they didn't know. And if I had the answer, I said, hey, don't forget, you got to do this, this, and this. Now, if it comes back to they constantly keep forgetting, then I'm going to think there's something wrong with them. It's like asking questions. It's fine to ask questions. But if you keep asking the same question, I'm going to think something's wrong with you and I'm going to get you psychologically evaluated. But um, <laughs> I think that, uh, you know, I know that it, it's it's perfectly OK not to know something and to go find that answer. And it's OK to admit that you don't know something. That's all part of keeping your ego in check. And, and uh, I tell you what, if you start trying to fake it, firemen are really good at uh, pinpointing right away when you don't know something. And if you get somebody who's really on the ball, they're going to start needling you about it and they're going to really expose uh, your shortcomings. And, uh, you know, if you're open and honest right away, nobody's going to think anything less um, about that. So moving forward a little bit, Sam. So how, you know, now that you're in this position, you know, I know you go out and you talk to your people. What, I guess when it comes down to communication, you're going to run into these issues where they don't agree with whether it be a policy or an order that's come out, or, you know, it's just something that's come out in left field, you have no idea where it came from, and they just totally don't agree with it. How do you approach things like that? Well, uh, you know, we, and we, we had talked briefly about this before uh, we went live. You know, it's, it's two, two things. One, you have to, you know, you're, you're a, you know, you're, you're a fiduciary of the fire chief. Uh, the fire chief puts out... Um, you know, either a general order or a policy, and, and it's your job to uh, to enforce it. And a lot of times, it's tied to 
either safety or uh, or the benefit, uh, you know, uh, and welfare of uh, the people we serve. And if if there's an issue with it, you know, you 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 just gotta have to communicate with your folks. Listen, you have to document when if 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 this if this policy or direction isn't jiving with how you operate. You have to document it and formally document it. Going back to the firehouse and bickering about it, and uh, you know they're, they're against us and this and that. You know you get into that that you, you'll hear from time to time. People just the negative Nellies that are, you know, they're out to get me. <laughs> you know they're, they're it's us against them. Well, no, they're they're you know they're making policies. They're, they're the, the the leadership of our departments making decisions based on data and everything's data driven these days. Well. If you're not putting in your report, you, you run a you run a call and you're not putting your report actually what that call was to shortcut your incident report, the data's not going to be there. So you know you can't be shocked when there's there's a new direction that comes out, and uh, and you're like, well, why'd they make that decision? Well, they made that decision 100% from data that you provided them. If you're and if you're not providing them with the proper data, you're not going to get the proper um, you know, the proper direction. And it's, it's, uh, you know, and it, 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 the onus is definitely on the company officer. Uh, you know, that's really where the rubber meets the road on the, on, in the firehouse to ensure that, you know, these things are documented. Um, you know, and certainly if something comes out that, that your, your adamant is going to be a, a detriment to the public or a detriment to the firefighters, you know, you bring that up to your, to your boss, you bring that up to your battalion chief, and then it's your battalion chief can bring it up to your, you know, to his boss. But it's it's the whole thing that, you know, um, what, what's the old adage? Uh, two things that firefighters hate, uh, how things thing are. And, and uh, change. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the way things are and change. Yeah. So it's, it's you know, and when, when they, you know, you'll get, and again, as a new leader, I, I, you know, and I think you do a great job of mentoring me along that way. It's like, Listen, you know, even if you don't agree with something, it's not your job to go in there and be like, yeah, I don't agree with that either. Uh, that's stupid, whatever. It's your job to um, to ensure they're following the policy. And again, you know, making sure that the, the actual if there's data that uh, or if there's information that is um, that is going to say, hey, listen, we need to revisit this. They're going to revisit it. They're not going to say, oh, no, we, we put this out. We're not going to we're not going to change if they find out, you know, uh, through through the right means, um, again, documenting, documenting when things aren't aren't the same as uh, you know as they should be, um, and doing it the right way, and not and not getting into that negative slant about hey they're you know they're they're just doing this to you know because of X Y and Z. No, there's <laughs> they don't just sit up there in the morning and spin a wheel. Oh hey, let's do this policy. You know, there's in every in every organization, not just in in public safety or or um, in government, you know, uh, private sector is, is hugely data driven as well. You know, that's why you you know you go to Amazon and you type like the first three letters of what you want. Typically, you find it, you find the best deal, and it's in Prime, and you get it the next day. You know, that's all data driven, and and uh, but they they're getting the right in, they're getting the right information, if, you know, via feedback and that kind of stuff, and buying trends. They're getting the right information, but if we're so if we're the end user of the product, which is, let's say it's, uh, you know, our incident reporting system and you're not putting the right stuff in there, you're shortcutting, uh, they're not going to get the right information. And, and, you know, it's, 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 uh, that's, that's, that's where you end up with the issues, right? Yeah. I think, uh, there's a couple of things I want to touch on that you mentioned, but, uh, you know, the whole Amazon thing, I think what's funny is I think Amazon sends me crap that I didn't even order. And then when I get it, I, like, crap, I can really use that. So I think there's, I think they're spying on me. I call it, I call it, uh, Amazonesia. I don't remember ordering that, but God damn it. If I can't use it. Um, but, uh, you know, you, you brought up something about data driven and I remember, I guess back when I was a Lieutenant, and uh, when we were changing over to the CAD and the new mapping system, remember we had those maps that were like five foot by six foot and we had to unroll them and we had to go out in our first new area and check every street and we had to highlight with different color markers and they meant different things. Do you remember that? 
Yeah, yeah, that was uh, pre-PS2000, yep. Right, so we had to go out there and we had to go through the streets and then eventually people were just like, man, this this sucks, this is terrible, this, this is just a waste of time, and they started pencil-whipping stuff. And then what did we find out about three or four years later with our maps? They were wrong. Yeah. There was a lot of <laughs> streets that didn't go through, uh, the hydrants were where they were supposed to be, um, it, it was just a mess, and, and uh, you know, they call that garbage in, garbage out, you know, if, if you're going to get into it, what you, you know, what you put into it is what you're going to get out of it, and it goes back to these reports, you know, we've got some, um, you know, our reporting system, people want to you know, get back to sit on the couch. So, you know, they'll run a call, you know, it may have come in as a, a fire alarm or something like that or whatever, pick your poison and you roll up on the scene and you had food on the stove, no extension, but you had some smoke and you blew it out and you went back and then they fill out the report to put uh, automatic alarm and then they'll find something that they can tie it into being food on the stove, but not a fire. So they don't have to do the, the longer report. So <laughs> then all they're getting is this BS report that doesn't really describe what you had and when you start getting thousands and thousands and thousands of that they're going to look at the data and go well crap you know you know we're not running any fires in any buildings when in a sense yeah we're running food on the stove there was no extension but had that food on the stove been brewing maybe 10 15 20 minutes longer with nobody finding out well you had a kitchen on fire so it's that information that has to be captured you have to get that factual information and it all goes back to from your boss, don't you want your boss to tell you the truth? Don't you want them to give you the best information that's out there um, in order for you to do your job? Well, they, the bosses need that information from you. So it's a two-way street. They need to come out and talk to you to find out what's going on in the fire service and in operations. But you also need to let them know what's going on when you're running these calls. And that's how, you know, a lot of we see these trends and these statistics. And like you said, everything's uh, statistically driven. That's the only way we can figure out, you know, the type of calls that we're running and where do we need more fire departments or fire engines or where do we need to move trucks around and stuff like that. So it's a huge wheel and, and we each play a part of that. Um, the second thing I wanted to talk to talk about is, is the whole, you know, trashing the the organization as a manage as management as a battalion chief if if when i got promoted to battalion chief i sat down and had my interview with the fire chief at the time um who's no longer there but we had talked and i and i said look i said i view my position as battalion chief as this i have one foot in, in operations with the fellas and i have one foot at headquarters in management i said i am your bridge that goes from what's happening on the floor and what's hap- and I'm the bridge for what's happening at headquarters for my people. So I am your I'm the person that you need to come to if you want to find out what's going on. Now, with that being said, if the fire chief says this is what I'm going to do. I'm thinking about doing this policy or I'm thinking about putting this general order out there. And I say, well, you know what, chief? I don't think that's a good idea. Here's why. And we go back, we debate it back and forth. And at the end of the day, he slaps the gavel down and said, okay, I heard what you have to say, but this is what I'm doing. I still disagree with it. But the moment I walk out of that office, I am carrying the fire chief's flag. And it is an absolute huge disservice. It's a cop-out. If you turn around and tell the people, I disagree with what the fire chief's doing, and we're only doing this because he's making us do this, you have done nothing but poison yourself. People are going to look at you in the brief and say, right on, chief, you're with us. But eventually they're going to look at you saying, like, this, this guy's all about himself. You know, he's all about, you know, he's, he's not for the good of the organization. So whether you agree with something that's that's happening or not, providing it's not making you do something that's illegal or immoral or goes against county law or state or federal law, you carry the fire chief's flag and, and you do it. We have a policy that uh, that came out not too long ago, and people ask me, what's my opinion on it? And I said, my opinion is irrelevant. This is what the fire chief wants done. This is what we're going to do. And we're going to do it to the best of our ability and... We're going to make sure that we all go home safely. That's my answer. Whether I agree with it or disagree with it, it's irrelevant because it's already come out. And uh, most people might look at me, you know, and say, say like, well, you have to have an opinion. Sure, I have an opinion. But the fire chief has already said, this is what we're going to do. So this is what we're going to do. Um, how do we make that change? We back it up with facts. Here's why it's not working. Here's the information, the documentation that we have that shows that it's unsafe. 
That's the stuff that you put on there. Bitching and caring and complaining about it like we like to do at the, at the coffee table is one thing, but actually having the hard data saying that over the last year we've run this many calls for this type of incident and this is what we actually had. Here's the percentage. Now you can take that raw data back and hopefully the chief, whoever, you know, whatever organization you work for, whether it's a chief or a boss, can put his ego in check and say, you know what, this information is proving me wrong. We're going to tweak this a little bit. I hope that that's the end result. How do you feel about that, Sam? Yeah, no, it, I, I, I think that's, that's absolutely, um, that's, that's on point. And, you know, every, you know, again, it goes back to the, the fact that, you know, the fire chief was once a firefighter and they still have uh, some, some semblance of perspective of what, it, you know, what it's like to run these calls and have to, um, you know, uh, Come, either coming up with with shortcuts or that kind of stuff because something's not fully addressed, and um, you know having that perspective, I think if, if something comes out that's not necessarily um, it's not working, and it's you know it's not like they again it's not like people are coming up with these things out of out of uh, you know out of the air. It's it's they're they're not pulling them out out of the air out of the sky. They're they're literally it's 100 percent out from from the data that we draw from incident reporting. Um, or, or whatever, you know, different calls. We, you know, we do our, our significant incident report. We might have a series of, of, of a fire ground issues from significant incident reports that might generate a change in the way we do something. And um, if that stuff isn't in there, uh, you know, it's, it's not going to, it's not going to help. And certainly uh, if, if something's put out there, that's not working for us. And what I mean by us is, is it's not helping us do our job, uh, to the, to the fullest extent to help the community that we serve, then, um, you know, <clears throat> through the, through the right way, <clears throat> pardon me, through the white, right ways, we, we have to get that, that, uh, that information to, uh, to leadership so they can make the adjustments because they, they want, that's what they want. We all, we all want the same thing. Um, the fire chief, uh, the fire chief wants to make sure we're safe and, and make sure the that we're doing everything we can to protect the community and we want to do the same thing. It's not like we have different, we don't have different um, objectives. And and when we come into work, we're all on the same page with that. So it's important that, that, um, you know, we, we know, we know where a lot of our, uh, our changes in our organization come from. It's, it's from things that actually happen that we've documented. So if the things have actually happened and we haven't documented them, you know, you really, you're handicapping your leadership and, 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 you know, making sure that we're, we're delivering the best product to, uh, to the folks that we, we serve. A hundred percent agree. And, and again, you know, you can't be that person that's going to go up there and pound your fist on the fire chief's desk or on your boss's desk, wherever, whatever line of work that you're in to demand change. You have to be able to back it up with facts. Um, I want to transition for the last part of this conversation. We're going to talk about communications on the fire ground, um, which is uh, one of the things that I've told my guys that, providing they give me good intel, I'll continue to let them do their job while they're on the fire ground. And what I mean by that is that, you know, when I see something that's happening to the building, if it's on fire or whatever, I'm going to call you and say, what's going on? And and you have to be honest with, you know, with me or with the incident commander in order to allow the operation to move forward, you know, as, as a battalion chief, you know, when I'm in my vehicle and, and, I'm, and I'm running an incident, my number one goal is to make sure that you are as safe as you possibly can be in a burning building uh, to do your job. And in order to be able to allow me to make decisions um, based on the information that you're giving me, it has to be good information. So, Talk to me, Sam, because you've got a couple fires under your belt now. Some of the things, and I know one of the one of the fires you had where you were getting a, a ton of information was a fire you had down when you were working uh, as a as a um, as a bump up down in, in the Glen Echo area. Um, you had that. I think it started on the exterior and it kind of got inside, or vice versa. But uh, there was a lot of information coming to you. So talk a little bit about the communications that you're expecting to give on the fire ground and then what you're expecting to receive on the fire ground and how that kind of plays into your, uh, your attack, your fire attack. Yeah. It, you know, and it, it goes back to the expectations you have for your folks. And, and, um, even though I was a, a, a bump up or, you know, a temporary guy, 
while I didn't put a formal set of expectations out, um, I had conversations. Hey, listen, give me the information. You know, we have, we have this LCAN format of reporting. Um, give it to me before I ask for it. You know, the whole uh, push versus pull. Um, <clears throat> I'm seeing things on the outside. You, you, you might be having a completely uh, different experience on the inside. Well, I'm not going to know that unless you give me that information. And, um, you know, it's, it's certainly if, you know, if conditions are changing in there, if you're not, if you're not pushing that information to me, I'm not going to be able to, to, to effectively manage the incident. I might be seeing, oh, it looks like they're making okay progress. And meanwhile, inside, you know, it's in the knee walls or, or, um, you know, in the attic, it's in the Charlie side, and I, 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 my views obscured or whatever. So getting that good information and, you know, the radio is busy as it is, it's, you know, so you don't want them <clears throat> pushing every, every little thing to you, but it's like, give me regular updates um, as, as things change. So if you have the fire knock, you think you have it, give me an, give me an Alcan, give me an update, let me know what's going on. And then we can, we can adjust from there. So, you know, um, if you give me an update that, that doesn't match up with what I'm seeing, you know, we've got to, we've got to start thinking about uh, redeploying resources and that kind of stuff. And, and, uh, you know, <clears throat> you get these older houses that are all broken up, um, older Cape Cods that have been renovated, uh, legacy type threes that have, uh, you know, the hairy homeowner re- renovations where things are dangerous. Um, from the outside, the house looks normal. And the inside between, uh, you know, the increasing issue we have with clutter and, uh, you know, folks just, you know, doing these crazy renovations to these houses, you know, it really can, can handicap us. So it's important that the, uh, the folks on the inside are, are giving you the information so you can make the best, best choices based on what they're telling you and what you're seeing. So. I know um, there's just two examples I want to bring up. One was a fire that I was, I was on. And the other one was a, uh, a fire that uh, one of our colleagues was on, and I talked to him a little bit about it, and he, he had told me some things that, uh, that were happening, and it all came back to the type of communication that he was getting back. But the first fire that we had was about a week or so ago, um, and it came out as a fire on the deck in, uh, in my, my district. And we arrived, the first units arrived on the scene. He said they had a large volume of fire. Uh, to the rear of the house, um, and as they're giving their report, I'm pulling up, and what I saw was this this uh, long rancher-style house that sat shotgun or sideways on the property, and there was a lot of fire that was coming from the back of the house that was coming over top of the roof line, but on top of that, it was also all the trees in the backyard, the tops of them, like like something you'd see out of, you know, the, on the West Coast, these, these, this fire crowning across the top of these trees, like six or seven trees, like just well involved. The wind was blowing like 20 miles an hour. Um, I had flying embers that were hitting the house next door, like baseball-sized style embers. You know, it looks like I had a lot of dynamic things going on. Um, directed the first company to go to the rear and start a knock there, and uh, I had smoke coming out of the house. So I could tell that I actually had fire in the house. So I directed, you know, the second due company to go in and start attacking whatever fire they had. And um, they said they had a room off. I know they were getting a good knock in the rear because I saw the, the trees were, were, were extinguished and the fire had died down a little bit. But I had a lot of smoke that was coming out of the attic area. And I kept calling the interior guy saying, I need you to drop the ceilings. It looks like we have fire in the attic. And I kept telling them that and telling them that and telling them that. And they're like, oh, we're getting up in there now. And, you know, and, and I kept just hammering this thing like, get in the attic. Get your head physically up in there. Get the ceilings dropped. And they kept coming back saying that, you know, everything's good and this and that. <clears throat> what ultimately ended up happening was where the fire was in the back of this house, This they had a master bedroom on fire. Well, it had burned through the roof. There is no more roof. So that bit of information would have come back saying, chief, um, what you're seeing is the residual smoke from the room. It has burned the roof completely away. There is no attic anymore. And that's that whole communication where I could have come back and said, okay, now I got it. You know, and I didn't recognize that until I got in, I got out of my car after it was all said and done. I kind of looked at the damage they had and I was like, wow, you guys actually had no roof. And they said, yeah, that's why it wasn't in the attic. And I'm thinking, had you just given me that can report, you know, and I think in their way, they were trying to say, like, hey, chief, it's not in the attic. 
but they didn't finish up with because there's no more attic, you know, there's no more roof. Yeah. So it's that communication, you know, I'm, I'm relying on, I'm relying heavily on my officers and my, my divisions and group supervisors to give me that factual information because let's face it, we are making decisions based on imperfect hastily information that, that we're gathering and we have to continually to massage our tactics on the fly. So that was the one call. The other call that was run, it was a fire that we had um, in in um, in my battalion. I wasn't working, uh, but it resulted into um, not necessarily a mayday. It was almost a mayday where the, uh, the first two engine company had gone in and they said, hey, we've got a hole in the floor and uh, wanted everybody to be aware of that. Probably about five minutes after that, we actually had a firefighter fall through the hole in the floor into the basement. Now, there was no fire in the basement, and the guy kind of dusted himself off and walked out. And then I'd say about maybe three minutes after that, another member of another crew fell through a hole. That's where they finally said, all right, we're pulling everybody out of the building. Um, When I was talking to this particular battalion chief, his impression was it was a small hole, you know, like a little hole had burned through where this hole was probably like uh, eight foot by 10 foot, you know, like like a couple of sheets of plywood that were gone. The house was under renovation. So it was truly a man trap. When you go in, you fell through the hole in the floor. So it's that that communication had to come back and saying, hey, Chief, be advised, we've got a large hole with the front door. It's probably 10 foot by eight foot. You know, he may have adjusted his line of thinking, or is that the only hole that we have? Do we have to go in through a different way? Do we have to pull everybody out and regroup and do this, um, you know, attack this fire defensively? And and, uh, as that information kind of trickled in, he was able to make uh, different decisions uh, in order to protect his guys. So it all comes back to that whole, you know, you got to give me the best information that you have. You have to relay that to me in order for me to make decisions as an incident commander, because I'm relying on you guys to be the eyes. And, uh, you know, you look at any NIOSH report, and one of the the top, I'd say top three, it always comes down to communication as well as incident command and, 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 you know, not following your policy and procedures and stuff like that. So, you know, it's that information. So for you line officers that are listening to this, give your chief that information. You're not talking, you're not hogging the radio. We want that information, especially if it's something that's significant, you know, we want to know I've got water on the fire. Or, uh, hey, I'm getting water on the fire. What's it look like to you outside? That's a big one um, because you say you got water on the fire and you're on the first floor. Well, I've got fire through the roof, so it's gone somewhere else. I need to redeploy some units. Um, the other big one is the, uh, you know, that you hear, I'm on the second floor. I've got zero visibility, high heat conditions, and I can't find the fire. Right away, I'm thinking knee walls. I got fire in the knee walls. That bit of information, that communication back to the command post is going to allow me to adjust uh, the crews that I need to get in there because we've got a significant amount of fire possibly in the walls and you're standing in the middle of that. So it's that fire ground communication that that uh, we we crave that information. We want that information from you. Um, how how have you started to pick up on a lot of that stuff now, Sam? That you that you're you're in your battalion now. You may not have had any fires, but you were a bump up for quite a while, um, relying on that information, that factual information coming in. Yeah, and and you know, like you had uh, mentioned, you know, about asking about Elgin Lane, that fire where yeah, I, I was getting a lot of feedback. You know, and early early in the incident, we had a a, a pocket of with, with the. Uh, fire investigators said it was a pocket of, of, of uh, natural gas. It was the smoke explosion that blew out a few windows and blew out the French door assembly in the front. And I completely missed it because it was on the back end of a transmission from a unit that had self-deployed. Um, you know, they were, they were trying to give me a good update. I heard the first part of it, which was, which I, I already had that information and I kind of, uh, I, I guess, you know, <laughs> I missed the second half because I, I already in my head said, okay, I've, I, I know this. So I, I need to, I need to go on to my, my second part of this, this, um, this plan to, to put this fire out. And, um, you know, that's definitely one, another thing like you're, you're going to get folks, especially if you have a changing condition, um, you know, a mayday, uh, wires that drop that kind of stuff, any type of hazard, you're going to hear it like four or five times. But you, and you, and it does it does get frustrating, but you have to 
in in some of those you know repeated um, transmissions of the same thing, there might be something else that's of value to you information wise. So um, you know don't don't completely discount a return from somebody uh, giving you uh, a condition that you already know about that somebody already has has told you about. Uh, there could be some other information in there. You know, sometimes they'll, it'll be on the tail end of the conversation or, or it'll be in the beginning. And, and, you know, it's, it's easy to, you know, okay, I'm, I'm, I'll formulate my plan here. I already know this information I'm moving on and then you miss something. So I, that, that was definitely a valuable lesson learned early on. Um, you know, I, I totally missed that. I didn't see it. It wasn't a loud concussion. Um, and, uh, and nobody else said anything about it. That was another thing because it didn't affect the outcome of the incident. Everybody uh, continued to work. You know, I had an outside team putting the exterior fire out. I had an inside team on the second floor pulling ceiling and getting it in the attic. And they were all giving me good good feedback. Nobody else said anything about, hey, by the way, we had an explosion because no one was injured. It didn't affect the uh, operations at all. We didn't have any wind, so it didn't. The, the windows in the French door assembly coming out didn't affect the, the uh, dynamics of the fire. And, um, you know, they just went about their business. And I think, you know, that's another thing. You can't assume that the person running your fire ground in a vehicle, even if they have a pretty good view of the house, is going to see 100% of everything. Because early on, before you have some help in the car with you doing your charting on your command chart, your, your head's bobbing up and down. You're tracking your units because you want to make sure you, you know where everybody is. And that you're laying your you're laying your game plan out, um, and and it's easy to miss something, you know. So, um, or you pull up and you have great like on Lorraine Avenue uh, a couple months ago. I pull up, I have perfect. I mean, side alpha was wide open. Second truck completely blocked me out. So uh, I actually got out a few times. Um, uh, you know, I had another command officer in there with me. I actually got out a few times and ran around the side of that ladder truck to get a good view um, to confirm what I was hearing, you know. So. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I've, I've, uh, I'll be the first to tell you right now is I've, I have run command from the front of a ladder truck before, especially if, you know, the, the whole adage is, oh, if you're a good chief, you don't have to see the house. So that that's false. You still have to see what's going on. You have to make sure yeah. that what they're telling you is matching what you're seeing. Um, in a larger incident where you have the incident command post, you know, your bus or whatever, you know, that's different, but for the you know, for the structure fires and things like that, you got to see what's going on. You got to make sure that, uh, you know, what they're saying is, is what you're seeing. And, and I've run, I've run a couple of fires from the front seat of a ladder truck. You know, you just tell communications, Hey, send all my information to the MDC and truck in front of truck so-and-so and, and, uh, you'll still get all your updates. Um, and then once the fire dies down, everything's under control, you can move back to your car. So, and, you know, again, that's all part of communication. Uh, one of the things that, that I try to tell people is, you know, you, you, when you get in that car, Things are trying to move a thousand miles an hour. You have to physically slow yourself down a little bit. You know, what I tell people is before you start writing, take a deep breath, hold it for like five seconds, exhale, and then go ahead and go about your routine. What I like to do, what I've been doing lately is I'll roll up on the scene and I won't immediately take command. I'll get the car parked. I'll get the lights turned off, turn my command post light on, get my, my chart in front of me and everything. While these guys are doing their things, we've trained our people to be that tactical command, that initial incident commander. They're running things, you know, and they'll be okay for the next minute until I get all my stuff set up. And then I'll go ahead and say, all right, give me an LCAN. I'm on the scene. I'll go ahead and take command from here. You know, instead of rushing into it, because you'll find yourself kind of behind and trying to catch yourself up. It's a lot easier to get all that stuff written down that you need to get written down now. Then you go ahead and take command and you can... Uh, then you can go ahead and start moving your units around. Whether you want to call it a tactical pause or whatever it is that you want to talk, call it. You know, take that that extra thirty seconds to take a deep breath, absorb everything that's going on, get yourself composed. You know, you just drove down the road, uh, no more than fifteen miles an hour over the speed limit uh, to get on the scene, and you <laughs> wanted to make sure that you get that adrenaline flushed out of your system before you start talking on the radio. And and uh, we talk. The last thing I'm going to mention when we talk about communications is. Don't yell and scream on the radio because all that does is excites everybody else. So the best thing to do, calm, cool, and collected. And, and what do I tell everybody, Sam, when I do my command class? You could burn a row of apartment buildings to the ground, but if you sounded good doing it, nobody will ever question your tactics or your strategies. So, <laughs> yeah, um, right. 
but uh, so we're at that hour, Sam. We've been we've been going at it for about an hour and five minutes, and uh, there's just so much stuff that we can talk about communications because it's one of the key things that we do as firefighters, as uh, you know, citizens in business, in your home life. You know, li- listening to what your wife has to say um, in order to absorb what she's telling you, so you don't forget about what she said, and then you get in trouble because you didn't do what she asked you to do. So, you know, that key to communication is important in everyday life. You know, when you're dealing with your kids, with your spouse, with the people you work with in your, your, your private business or fire service, military police, you know, communication is the key in order to have, you know, a good working environment, a good working relationship, um, in, in life in general to be able to, uh, convey your thoughts and then not only to talk but also listen which is the other half of communication in order to have the best information to move forward with whatever plans or whatever tactics that you're going to put out there so sam i appreciate you coming on the show yet again i enjoy talking to you we can talk we talk all the time um it's great to hear your perspective and again congratulations on the promotion well earned and congratulations on your baby girl you know you got a you got a full family now and uh including uh your pets and and everything else so uh, you got a full house so congratulations (laughs) to you and and to mama let her know that uh we say congratulations yeah, sure thing, man. Thanks again for having me on. It's, it's been a blast. I always enjoy this, and uh, yeah, I'll definitely send my regards to the missus, and, and uh, thanks for the well wishes for, for baby Leela. She's doing well. <laughs> Fantastic. All right, Sam. Be All safe right. out there, and uh, I'll uh, see you on the fire ground. Sounds good, man. Looking forward to it. All right. Take care. You too.